the business on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. You see it, we help you do it. AIB, for the life you're after. But first, today marks the second anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Thousands of people have been killed. Millions have been forced to flee their homes. Villages, towns and even entire cities have been destroyed. And we've just heard of details of the latest attacks uh, across Ukraine there last night. Well, Kyiv journalist Natalia Yumenyuk joins me to give us an insight into how life and business is in the war-torn country. You're very welcome to the programme, Natalia. I remember two years ago, just before the invasion, watching the television of and images of, of <coughs> downtown Kyiv and people were in coffee shops and out and about as normal, kind of almost in disbelief that that the invasion would take place. Two years on, obviously it did. What's it like there now? Uh, So good to talk to you. Um, If you really want to describe, so probably the city would look like the same. There are the restaurants, shops, and the life is ongoing beyond the curfew. But it, um, you know, Ukraine pays a huge price for that because... Um, not to mislead anybody, if foreigners come to Ukraine or Kiev, for instance, the capital, they would be surprised how normal it is. However, it's just the merit of the air defense, which is, you know, regularly shelling down the Russian missiles attacks. And unfortunately, not all the Ukrainian countries, uh, not Ukrainian cities can afford that. So there would be the big cities like Kharkiv, the city in, in just near the Russian border where over the million people live. And, you know, there they do have the downtown destroyed and schools are not operating. So it really depends, but uh, people pursue living and the most of the services, they are operational. They need to reorganize their work. And, you know, we you, you mentioned like around the third of the Ukrainian populations has been relocated and majority of them inside of the country, uh, in particular in the East, which is dominated by the heavy industry, by the big com- companies. So they, they are almost not operating any longer, but it looks like normal somehow and co- still. And of course, Natalia, the, the population, you know, if you look up the population of Ukraine before the war, 47 million, uh, because of so many people, six and a half million people leaving the country, the population is listed as gone from 43 million to 37 million and there are internally displaced people. But when you go around, businesses always seem to find a way of adapting to anything that happens. And when Are there new businesses emerging despite all of this? Uh, so... You know, it sounds miraculous and I think that it shouldn't be taken for granted that, for instance, we had just one day within these two years when the major Ukrainian mobile company was not operating for like for a day and so. And <clears throat> Ukrainian banking system never really collapsed. Uh, you know, it worked always and it's very, very um, agile online banking and things like that. Uh, but yes, you can see that the small businesses are opening. There are new industries like logistics. People are trying to new open the businesses in the new places. However, you, you you clearly see that the money are out. You know, there are no investments. There would be some, you know, malls which are, you know, closing down. It won't be that obvious, but definitely the spending or the, the money, how much people can spend, it's definitely um, not, not enough. So people, you know, like they're struggling like during the recessions. But, um, and, but at the same time, because of the war, people don't plan you know, in, in, in too much in advance. If you want to buy a car, you better buy it now because you know you live now. You don't know what will happen in a couple of years if you really need something. So people do not really so collect despite, as well. despite the uncertainty, people who have some money to spend, they're not, they're not 
not saving it. They're not thinking that in that way about the future. It's if, if you have it, spend it now. At least those who stay in the country, uh, and a lot of people lost their savings, but indeed, like this long-lasting thinking, when you think like, I'll have a flat, this I preserve for my kids' studies, you better do it now. So, you know, this. so so people live a bit in the moment. Uh, and when it and, comes to shops, the, when it comes to uh, cafes or shops or those kinds of businesses, have you noticed any particular kinds of, of, of businesses that are opening up? You know, I'm still surprised why almost every month there is a new fancy bookstore opening in Kiev. That's a bit like miracle for me. Uh, but um, why, I, I why is that? It, it, book, bookshops, why is that? I don't know, but I think it's like there is an urgency to, to read, to understand, to have this space. Uh, but to be serious, you know, Ukraine, honestly, it's interesting that it's opening, uh, it's more open to the markets in Europe, uh, to Europe, but as well, because there are some regulations, you know, for instance, the Ukrainian design and the, is just blossoming, I think, like, because all this brand, like big brands and chains just left, I think it's just an incredible time when, you know, you can buy almost every, every, every cloth made in Ukraine and a lot of other things. So there's a rediscovery um, so, of the national identity and of local produce and local design. And the other thing is that inevitably a lot of money that the government has gets spent on the military, on the war, on defence. Is is there an obvious sign that means they probably have less money to spend on health, education, other things. Is that is that very visible for Ukrainians? It, it, it's absolutely visible because, first of all, you know, our army grows. It's over the million of people who, you know, over 700,000 of them joined after the full-scale invasion. And uh, it's just the Ukrainian state which pays the army and the military. So, you know, like if we if Ukraine receives foreign support and finance, uh, but mainly for the humanitarian uh, issues or even like social issues, but but not for the military. And this is a huge debate now about the mobilization and the draft. How can its country afford, uh, you know, um, to, to, to support its military? Because it's a very complicated choice. First of all, you, you need people to fight. You need them to be drafted. But at the same time, you want people to stay and work and pay taxes and women, because it's actually the only way. Women and Natalia are taking up a lot of the jobs traditionally done by men. Absolutely. I know that, for instance, in the farm, in, in the farms, uh, you know, a person who drives a tractor, you know, it's usually a man, but exactly this profession is really needed in the army because you better, if you had this experience, you probably would drive the tank. So I knew that, first of all, sometimes you try and find the options how to do it without people automatically, but also the women are really looking at all these uh, professions like that, you know, running the, driving the tractor in, in the village and things like that. It's really the case as well. Okay, well, thank you very much for uh, filling us in on that, Natalia. Natalia Yumenyuk, uh, many thanks for joining us on the programme.